Welcome to the Wheel of Sport, brought to you by the Turnstile Network. My name is Ian McNally, and with me, Justin Price. Hi, <laughs> Justin. You, you, you surprised me with the with me. Yeah, well, I, I normally that, don't because no. I'm usually here. <laughs> <laughs> and we should also uh, introduce the Wheel as well, the uh, the star of the show. Hello. <laughs> is that what the Wheel would sound like? Brand new. Is it? <laughs> yeah. It only needs a bit of oil. That's me going that long, but we'll, we'll, we'll get there. Well, let's give the wheel a spin. You can spin it this this week, Just. That you spin I it love now. spinning it. It's my favourite. Yeah, come on. Let's get, it, let's get it's into it. It's my only job. And, <laughs> and the the nice thing about, uh, you know, we've had a few different sprinklings of topics, but uh, this episode, the topic is... Golden moments. Golden moments. Now, this is a topic where, you know, just like solid gold moments in sports they do come along kind of fairly infrequently i think they're the actual like real solid gold moments i don't want to kind of build it up too much i don't want to have like solid gold solid gold (laughs) i don't want to say gold bullying moments of sport i don't know i think also like i want golden moments in in the wheel of sport like me someone falling over in the 400 meters I find that a golden moment. <laughs> See, that's just not a golden moment. That's mean spirited. <laughs> so, oh well. well well I just think to myself, four years of training and you fall over. It's <laughs> <laughs> brilliant. <laughs> but I think like sometimes the word gold I want it in this podcast, I want it to mean like it to be a genuine golden moment. It's not like say like you go to gold class cinema. And it's not, is it really? Like I expect the gold class cinema to be the drinks to be free, the bar to be open. You're paying gold coins, but apart from that, there's no other gold to be had. No, it's like a relatively comfy seat, and you're indoors. Mm. It's like, that's what a cinema is. <laughs> it's like it's not worth paying extra. So, hopefully, this is a golden moment. So go on then. Have you got one? I've got one. Yeah, and um, uh, this it's I've got to say it's a little bit selfish because. This man is a—he's uh, a bit of a hero of mine, and uh, the the golden moments is quite special because it's actually his last moments in his sport. I thought you were going to say in life. <laughs> <laughs> well, almost. All oh, right, <laughs> but mm. it—it's a moment. It's like very—I can't think of another sportsman where he lived his golden moments at the very end like that was his last action normally like you look back through a sportsman's career and it might have been when they were like 23 or when they were like you know they had a moment that you have to reflect upon but his was actually he had a whole career to reflect upon but arguably the most golden moments was his very last action in the sport and then after that moment he he retired like straight straight away well probably that was the cause that was his Probably thought I've reached it. I've done it. Pinnacle done. I'm out. I think I would have retired. I'm after. also 44. Yeah, <laughs> he wasn't actually that old as was well. It it's there 30, you go. 32. I should really should introduce. Who yeah, I was going to say I, I'm trying to. It's I was sort of going to play guess who for the next hour. <laughs> hour, jeez, was now we. Um, here's why it's selfish. Go on. He is a hero of mine, but he also grew up where I grew up. Okay. So this, I'm talking in about... the slums. <laughs> in the slums, in the favelas, in Merseyside, in the United Kingdom, in the Northwest. Yeah. And uh, his name is Chris Boardman. Oh, yeah, I know Chris. Not personally, but Chris Boardman was uh Olympic 
cyclist. Yeah, he, well, he was he was more than Olympic cyclist, which we'll explain. I'm glad it, you will. <laughs> you obviously know him better than I do. Well, it's quite special to have someone like from your hometown go on to win an Olympic gold, but also to like do some amazing things in the sport as well. And the other thing is that Chris Boardman, he just he's got the look of a man and the demeanor of like an accountant. He doesn't look like a world-class athlete, but he he was. I want to build up to the, his last big achievement in a sport, which is the golden moments. But before we go there, I just want to kind of paint the picture a bit about some of his achievements before he actually gets to this final moment in his sport, which actually he retired when he was like 32, which is relatively young you know considering some cyclists are you know i'd love to retire at 32 wouldn't it be great eh? six years ago now yeah <laughs> <laughs> dear me <laughs> he's just being taken to the knackers yard yeah chris boardman has his first cycling race when he's like 13 years old teenager comes of age on bmx in, in his street <laughs> <laughs> yeah his mate riding on stunt nuts <laughs> Like the police formation hey, team. Give us a backy. <laughs> if you don't know what a backy is, that's where someone jumps on the back of your bike and you help them. Yeah, give I them think a, you know, give a ride down the street, don't you? The Australian parlance, it's a, a dink. Oh, is it? Yeah, it's called a dink. It used to be called a backy or a seaty. <laughs> CT's got X Factory in it. Yeah. That's where you had the luxury of the rider would have to stand and pedal. And the, the, the pillion passenger would sit on. The, have the luxury of sitting on the uh, on the saddle. It's cheeky, that really, isn't it? You don't do that with a pilot, do you? Honestly, I'd love to see that as Olympic event. Yeah, backies. <laughs> and welcome to the Olympic gold medal event for backies for two hundred meters. We have Blocko on the stunt nuts and Steve riding on the pedals. So I, I don't think he was a BMX. Where, 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 where was his first race at 13? Who knows? But oh, it's okay. <laughs> yeah. basically, he was right. Like, you know, he was one of these kids. You know, there was a few kids who had a road bike. And you're thinking, why have you got a road bike? Ev- everyone around ours had a mountain bike. Yeah. He was one of them kids. You'd see them with the road bike. It had four brake handles. So, like, you could lean, around, you know, around the goat's horn kind of... Uh, curly handlebars and yeah. it breaks I down never there and breaks sa- on the top. I never felt safe on those bikes, me. Because you had another three people on there with you. <laughs> <laughs> but they were always like, you felt like when you leaned over, you felt like, if I go here, because it was this, as well, um, especially in England, we weren't, we didn't have to have cycle helmets, so we could just... Still don't. You know? It's great, isn't it? Freedom Free- to kill yourself. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm not having no uh, course of European human rights telling me how to stay safe. I know. <laughs> Ridiculous. So, basically, he says once he's had this race at 13, school can go away. (laughs) Care less about school. Never interested him. Doesn't try hard at school. He's just on a bike from that point. I wonder, actually, if he rode his bike to school. He would have. Would have won as well, wouldn't he? He would have been there five in the morning. (laughs) So, he basically gets gets, uh, this into into his psyche. He's caught the cycling bug. And then he said, actually, he used to go to, like, he got on the national team, but he used to just get, like, absolutely pommeled. Like, he was losing. He's like, 13? No, <laughs> even when he was a little oh, bit older, okay, he had to right. kind of, you know, he wasn't great. 
But his nickname is The Professor. Riding in a lab coat. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Mad air, glasses, yeah. Strange way about him. He, but apparently he used to be meticulous about his preparation, training. He'd be on a stopwatch all the time. He'd be, you know, um, basically riding, doing dress rehearsals, riding the route uh, that he knew he was going to race on. So he knew every, like, little bump in the road, pothole and stuff. He he wouldn't be able to tell you what his kid's birthday was, but he'd be able to tell you where the potholes and the <laughs> particular roads on sections of, of you know, like a seven-kilometre route or something. He's got six kids, so fair enough. <laughs> he can forget their birthdays. Yeah. And uh, he basically got this into, into his um, psyche quite early on that he was going to progress like from this me- me- a very methodical way of preparation, riding. And he approached it in almost like a scientific way, which paid dividends because he did get, particularly when he got on the velodrome, there's very few potholes on the velodrome. So you've got more brain space just to kind of, you know, enjoy your ride, but in a circle, yeah, in a circle, in an oval. Yeah, yeah you can't really take in a view, can you? No, and it is, it does attract a certain type of person because it is a very repetitive thing, isn't it? Do Going on the pedals, well? yeah, and riding around in a circle. So when did he get into that? What do you know? Or he, he was in the national team, and they would go and and run it, and they were doing like uh, race meets and stuff like that, mainly on the roads. And then he started in the in the velodrome, and that's where, because you in the velodrome, you've got no other considerations except pace. There's I bet his kids were great then. I bet his kids were so happy when he went to the velodrome because he didn't have to be out researching the routes, <laughs> looking for potholes. <laughs> He was at home going, no, no, it's just a gym with a round thing. I know where it is. <laughs> yeah, it's it's weird. I actually watched, this is, shows how boring I and my life gets. Uh, I was watching a programme on how they make velodromes. <laughs> <laughs> Three the, hours long. The weird thing is, is that they, they had a shot of um, someone standing underneath the velodrome. And obviously it's made of wood. And... As you look up, you can see daylight through the cracks, and it can't you because know, like it looks like completely tight as you right, but obviously the wood expands and contracts. I'm a born here uh, with this already. I'm asleep. <laughs> so the the thing is, is Boardman is building up to take part in the Barcelona Olympics in 1992, and again that that's my first Olympic memories are from. Those games in Barcelona. He rides this amazing race where he's in the velodrome. It's the individual pursuit. Hasn't he got the new bike at this point as well? He's got that state of the art new bike. That I remember this about the Olympics because the Brits or the British commentators at least were banging on about this new bike he had, like that it was lightweight and that it was like it was just like one. It really wasn't even looking. It didn't look like a bike. It looked like like a bit a piece of uh, sculpture that had just been just been the same with a yeah with like a, I don't know it's just really weird but they banged on about that bike you know like the cyclist didn't have to do anything it was just all the bike yeah well it's, so the bike is uh it's called the Lotus one at one zero eight oh good research yeah <laughs> again not much going on in my life so <laughs> and it's it's carbon fiber but they built it out of carbon fiber so that. Because with the steel frames or aluminium sta- uh, frames, 
obviously they've got to be a certain size tube and you lose obviously <laughs> <laughs> you lose your aerodynamic quality so with the carbon fiber they made it really flat and they also had a panel on the back wheel which just made it look brilliant so i don't know what that actually did but again was designed to reduce drag and and even it his helmet on it. i heard it was downforce or something yeah well his helmet was you, you'd never seen before it, it, it went in like to a teardrop shape so that it was it went far back as well yeah. I remember it was slick and it went all the way back to the back of his neck, like all the way to the back of his neck. Yeah, and and kind of his riding position, it just meant that the back of the helmet kind of rested on his on his um, vertebrae, basically. And and the British tabloids at the time were publishing about what was really special about this bike and things, but they were also reporting on the fact that apparently the other Olympic teams, like the Russian Olympic team, the US and stuff, were trying to spy because this bike was made by. The car company Lotus, who oh, made okay. carbon fiber racing cars. So they already had an engine in it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> he was saying, well, he has to wear a seatbelt if he's in a Lotus, <laughs> which would have improved the drag. But it's basically like just a single speed, and it is a joyful piece of machinery. Now, I'll show you a picture as well, Justin, of the. Um... Don't show me a picture. This will be interesting for the listeners. <laughs> No, I'm going to show you a picture of... So, in the Olympics, he he rode rode against Jens Lehmann. Not the Arsenal German goalkeeper. I was thinking that. Which, when I was researching, I was like, this is going to be brilliant. And I was like, that was a different bloke. (laughs) So, the beauty about this is when you see what his competitor was riding. Uh, This is is nice of you to show me a picture, Ian. The list is... Sorry about this. We might put it on Instagram. Oh, Follow us on Instagram. Yeah. Uh, put it on the gram. Put uh, it on the gram. At the Wheel of Sport. Um, is it Insta or Gram? What do they call it now? Is it Gramming or is it Insta? I, I call <laughs> it Gramming. Gramming? I call you? it Gramming. No. That sounds like something you'd do with old people. Yeah. That's Granning. <laughs> Wayne Rooney was into that for a while. Right, look, so. Right, look at his competitor here. I, look at this bike. <laughs> what you make of that? That's a shopping trolley. That's what that is. <laughs> Boardman has shown up to this on the coolest bike ever designed in history to the point where I actually think Boardman's bike in 1992 is more fashionable than most bikes today, if not, it holds its own. But look at I this. I remember a lot of kids asking for that bike. Loads <laughs> yeah. of kids went for Christmas went, can I have the same bike as Chris Boardman had? Because that was so, honestly, it was on the news and stuff so much that... Everyone thought it was a new thing for Christmas or something. You'd have a job locking that up out of the chippy, wouldn't you? <laughs> it was so expensive to make as well. It was so expensive to make that bike. Yeah, it was tens of thousands of pounds, apparently. Yeah. But that's research it, that's it was too much. <laughs> too much for you. Yeah, that's it. It's too much. Santa can't afford that. But the poor German, he's riding this little, it looks like a mobility scooter. It's got a really yeah. small front wheel. And the Germans are so good for engineering. That's a real letdown, isn't it? It's all, it looks like he's, it honestly looks like he's pushed some Spanish kid off here on the way into the stadium and he's riding it himself. So bizarre. So anyway, the individual pursuit, it takes place in 92. Now, for those of you who don't know, Justin, (laughs) the individual pursuit on the velodrome, it's four kilometers. And basically, it's whoever's ahead after four kilometers wins or the game is over if 
you game. Ca- yeah, if you catch the other person. All right, okay. So if you overtake... Like tag. Yeah, so if you overtake the your competitor, they call it call it quits. The pursuit, you don't want to... It's 4K, so you don't want to just burn off from the very start. You don't want to peak too early. Be, yeah, exactly, because you could be caught. So there is a bit of tactics in it. So what happens here is the boardman, he's not going slow by any means, but he's, he's just inching and inching, building up. Coming up to complete the first lap, and Boardman is fractionally in front already. So Chris Boardman has got off the mark quicker than the world champion, Jens Lehrman. But it's quite amazing to see how quickly he catches his opponents, just reels him in, and fair enough, his opponent's on the bloody Shopping mobility Charlie. scooter. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and he's on the world-class bike. Boardman now in full flight. And he's eating the ground up between himself and Lehman. In fact, the gap is growing with every pedal rev. It's 2.081 seconds now, and it's as though he sprouted wings. That said, it's remarkable to watch. He sets a world record on the 27th of July, 92. He's four-kilometre individual pursuits, four minutes, 27. The following day, he bangs out another world record. Four minutes, 24. And this is a emphatic display here of strength and speed. And he's doing a demolition job totally on the German. And Chris Boardman is going to take the gold medal to become the 4,000-metre Olympic champion. And he does just that. He doesn't need the total distance. It's all over. Chris Boardman is the Olympic champion. That level of achievement at that intensity... Fair enough again. He had the bike. I was say, they are now looking for the Lotus engine at but this point. I've played golf with expensive clubs. <laughs> so the equipment isn't everything. That is a fair comment. The equipment takes you so far, doesn't it? But he must have been he must have been quick. So that was a joyous moment and literally a golden moment because he won a gold medal at the Barcelona Olympics. And it was I did feel a sense of pride that there was a a, a lad from Wirral, who'd won a gold medal. Christopher Miles Borman. So Chris Boardman then steps on to the top of the podium and no one has been in that position for 72 years. And he's gets signed up pro, so he gets started. So he wasn't even pro at this point? Nah. Just goes up. Well, he wasn't signed up with like the Tour de France or anything like no, that. No, and he's, he's like, can, you, can I bring me bike? Yeah, <laughs> he said, <laughs> and they were like, you can definitely bring your bike because not only do we want you to win, we want to take that bike apart and see what it's made of. So, who designed that bike for him? I wonder who would design that bike. Like, was it the like who who had he got together with as the professor? Had he built it himself? Yeah, in his garage. <laughs> yeah, he should have, shouldn't he? Uh, it was the it was the Lotus team because like the Lotus team and I think they have a Formula One team as well, but they um they'd obviously put a huge amount of research and development anyway into like drag and aerodynamics and obviously carbon fiber. And it was just basically transferring it over to, to the track. Golden golden present that was well for Chris. Talk about golden moment, that's a that's a great present for, for Chris going to uh, the Olympic Games, isn't it? It's like, here you go, mate, have this bike. And he's like... Apparently, like, he used to have practice on it in secret and stuff because they didn't want any other countries to see it. And it's that's exciting, isn't it? It is exciting. Riding yeah. your bike in secret yeah. <laughs> in a circle. But it, he wins the, wins the Olympics, gets signed up for Gant in the Tour de France. 
in the Tour de France, you have like the prologues. They're called the prologues. So you just ride, and they're only like seven kilometers or something for short runs. But you basically you do those runs, and then that ranks your team in like a, a position because obviously you're riding as a team. Yeah. Now, because I was gonna say, there's some who do the hills, and there's some who do the speed rounds, and all that sort of stuff. So he would have been on the sprint, wasn't he? He was in the sprint team. Yeah. So it's seven k. I think he did the. It was in like 1994, and he he races in this prologue. Now you basically they set for for efficiency. They basically set one rider off, and then they leave it for you know a good 30 seconds a minute, and then they set another rider off, set another rider off, so they don't crash into each Get other. Into his way. And that that the focus is just on speed and getting to the end point without having to jostle or anything like that. You've just got an open run. And it's on the roads. It's you know, it's on the street. So Boardman starts off, and he hits fifty six kilometers an hour on the flat. Well, he's out of the start house, a magnificent crowd. Now the question is, can he do it and get the yellow jersey for Britain? Chris Boardman is doing the ride of his life. He's won two prologue time trials this year. Borman on the line, 749.97, and the crowd are going berserk. And Chris Borman has done everything he promised the world. He has won the prologue time trial. He will become the first British rider to wear the maillot jaune of the Tour de France since Tom Simpson in 1962. Bear in mind, there's no racer in history to this point that has got to 55 kilometers an hour. He's broke the 55 kilometers an hour. He is belting it. It's like Bats of the Future on a bike. <laughs> Go back in time. And he's he's not on his carbon fiber bike now. No, he's on a not. He's just on a normal race. He's just he's just back on his BMX. <laughs> and he's giving some some ladder <laughs> some ladder lift to the offie. <laughs> and he's he's belting it along. It's like the fastest prologue in history. And to the point where he actually catches the rider ahead of him, which is almost unheard of. Amazing, yeah. Because he was so good at that format of racing, his other nickname is Mr. Prologue. <laughs> <laughs> they got they got sexier those as nicknames, didn't they? <laughs> I mean, you could never imagine growing up as a kid going, oh, one day they'll, one day they'll call him Mr. Prologue. <laughs> Mr. Prologue. <laughs> God, terrible, yeah. terrible nickname, yeah. Terrible, not even an imagined. Nothing to do with as well. speed as well. Yeah. Like he's the fastest. Could player. be the speed demon. It's so many options, and which neither of us can think of. But Mr. Prologue, come on, would have done better than that. That's awful, Mr. Prologue. He is starting to be noticed now. He's won that. <laughs> Only now. <laughs> he's, won, he's won a gold. Now he's now he's starting to be noticed. In terms of making his mark in the professional sport, it's getting more and more impressive. But obviously with that, there's becomes the expectation and the stress and all that. So, so but we'll fast forward to 96, where he sets the record for, and this is thought to be like kind of the blue ribbon events in cycling. You're in the velodrome and the clock starts and you've got an hour, and you basically have to cover as much distance in that hour as you can. Sounds exciting. I can't even begin to think like how you mentally prepare for that because just go as quick as you can, as far as you can go, isn't it? Till you collapse. 
Well, you can't collapse because you gotta, you've, you've got an hour, haven't you? You've got to kind of... You can collapse. You can. But you've just got to go farther than everybody else in the hour. If you do 50 minutes, but you're done further. Oh, it's just like, I've been exhausted I never knew the Avelo as well, very quickly. You've got the steep sides, and then where's better to... I always tell myself, where's better to ride? Is it, It's obviously harder on the, the slope, on the top of the slope. But they all seem to go up to the top of the slope at some point. No one ever stays right down at the bottom where it's a bit flatter, do they? With the hour record, you want to stay as close to the, the near side, so like the inside lane. I think they have a black line that goes around, and you want to stay pretty much on that black line. Right, okay. It's generally only when there's multiple bikes taking part that you would end up in that high position. But with this one, it is a very pure form of, of sport, because you're not racing against anybody. It's you and the bike and the track. That's it. The bikes don't have any brakes on. Your your feet are locked in. You have to get somebody else to take you out of those pedals. It's just an amazing feat of, you know, even attempting it is bonkers. And so Boardman goes to Manchester Velodrome, 1996, and he's got his pretty special bike. It's now since been banned by the UCI, this um, this position, but it's called the Superman position. And you have this kind of elongated handlebars, which ride out. Stretch and then, you out, yeah. And then you basically, it looks like a really uncomfortable position to be in, but so cycling <laughs> for an hour. <laughs> and he absolutely smashes the record. There's a tremendous cheer, as you might anticipate, on home ground for Chris Borman, just an hour from his home on the Whittle Peninsula. But Borman now riding to an incredible world record if he continues over the last... He rides in an hour on the velodrome, 56.375 kilometres. Now, that is a speed of 56.3575 kilometres per hour. That is incredible, isn't it? Like I can't, I can't drive the car that fast. The Honda Jazz, that fall a bit. <laughs> it's not as good as his bike, mate. That's why. <laughs> yeah, it's a bit depressing that my Honda Jazz actually costs less to develop than his bike. Yeah, a lot less. Yeah. <laughs> Very sad. So that is a con- it's controversial because the Superman position because it actually makes you far more aerodynamic and they've actually stopped recognizing that as a as a um world record now really yeah so it's not all of his records just that one no just that because it's not that it's it basically they haven't wiped it off but it comes with an asterisk and they basically say this was in a superman position yeah Missed the prologue. Only Spider-Man positions from now on. Thank you very much. <laughs> Other superheroes <laughs> accepted, but no Superman. And he shouldn't have wore the cape, though, should he? Yeah. <laughs> it's cape developed by Lotus. It's uh, it's really interesting this though because he actually went through all of these amazing things, and then he got criticised quite heavily towards the end of the nineties where. He was, people were saying like he just wasn't reaching his potential and particularly on the Tour de France and particularly in the the long rides and the hill sections, he he just wasn't. 
Was he doing the hills now as well, was he? Yeah, so he was riding as part of the team and, and doing those sections, but... It's it, a different skill, in it? I would imagine. Like, I just don't understand people criticising when, obviously, sprinting, going up a hill, so different in terms of skill set. And also in build, like, you, you're very different in terms of what's required muscle group-wise. Yeah, well, he, he, he actually was telling a story, like, where he remembers he's riding up this uh, this mountain and it's quite a you know, steep gradient. And there's no one about except for him and another cyclist. And they're both just trying to get power up this hill. And it's pouring with rain and it's cold. And he said, we both just looked at each other. Like in this instance, it was like, you'd tell both of us were thinking, why are we, why are we doing this? What is the point? Like, just get the bus. <laughs> like it just... You're probably thinking I could just be going around in a circle in a, <laughs> under a roof. Yeah, yeah, could be indoors on a beautiful wooden polished track. With me, uh, proper bike, not one of these uh, jargon things. But it's a. Uh, what's interesting is that it actually turns out he has osteoporosis, oh, wow. and one of the reasons he couldn't reach his potential was because he was actually struggling. Uh, his his bones with basically you know getting diminishing like thinning, and weren't strong enough to basically complete you know the demands of what the tour needs. So even though he's still respectable, he just never made it into what he should have. And and that was kind of, he was diagnosed with that when he was like 30. And so this is what, what leads to the golden moment. He's 32. He's deciding, he's got this diagnosis. He's deciding to finish his career. But I think he does one thing which is really quite brave, which is he decides to have another crack the one-hour challenge in Manchester, in the velodrome. But he's not going to do the Superman position. He's not going to have his Lotus bike, carbon fibre. They not took his bike off him as well, have they? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he's going to use just a steel-framed, single-speed fixie, like a hipster. Nice. He's going to have a go at the challenge. Now, the record he's trying to beat is Eddie Merckx, and Eddie Merckx had the one-hour record on a very similar bike, a steel-framed fixie with basically nothing on it. It weighs like five kilos, the bike, the entire bike, Mm -hmm. with everything. No brakes, tied into the pedals, and Eddie Merckx has got the record of this one-hour challenge. And Boardman, I think this is such a brave move for somebody like... I know we you can talk about you know like the fighter fighting his last fight and perhaps they shouldn't do it because they could end up either dead or blind or disgraced or whatever. And Boardman wasn't running that risk, but reputation wise, he could have a go and and just not show for this. There is no second place in an hour record. You either do it or you fail. He doesn't have to do it, does he? You know, he he's got his gold medal. He's done. He's obviously set a sprint record at the Tour de France. Set that record in the velodrome for the hour. He doesn't really need to. Well, do he's got. Else, he's he? got gold medals. He's got multiple world records. He's got, um, you know, respect within the cycling community, and he's also got a diagnosis which could he could say, well, that's me out. Yeah, like he's got an exit ticket. You know, he's got six kids at this point. <laughs> you know, he could. He could e- easily He's speedy in every department, really, isn't he? <laughs> it's a bit too quick, some would say. <laughs> <And> <laughs> he's, 
So what was uh, Eddie Merck's record? So his record, he actually rode on the fixie. He rode 49.431 kilometres in that hour yeah. time on his fixie. Quite good when you think it, about it. It is. It? When you see the kippers on people on their fixies round here. Yeah. <laughs> you know, with the it's big not beards. about an hour. Um, yeah, like, exceptional effort. I'll, I will add a little uh, caveat to uh, to this. He was in the Batman position. Well, <laughs> <laughs> is um, th- there there were some allegations of uh, some extracurricular, uh, so we say drug drug use, doping with Eddie Merckx. Um, oh, not not necessarily with this attempt. I'm just saying there might there might be a little cloud there, and. Let's presume that Chris Boardman is 100% clean and everything, evidence as we record, says that's true. Yep. This is what makes this even more remarkable and sweeter. He's going old school. He's even wearing like an old style helmet. He's not, he's got, got rid of the aerodynamic teardrop. He's oh, trying yeah. to replicate what the conditions Eddie Merckx would have had. So Eddie Merckx broke the record in October of 72 in Mexico City of all places. Now, this means, the like, Boardman's attempting this in uh, pretty much almost to the day in October 2000. So that record's been in place for, like, 28 years. So Eddie's going, don't touch that. Well, this is the beauty about this golden moment. Eddie's there in Manchester. Is he? So Eddie's there watching this attempt. And the strange thing is, is when you watch the footage from... Boardman winning his Olympic gold in 92 in Barcelona. It's not a full house. There's not in the, at the velodrome. It's open air vel- velodrome. And there's not that many people there. Like there's a good, a good sprinkling of people, but there's also a good sprinkling of empty seats as well. And I don't think that takes anything away from it, but it kind of tells you a bit about maybe where the sport was or, you know, the attraction of that particular event. This event is in as close a velodrome as you can get to uh, Boardman's hometown in Hoylake. Wirral. Beautiful. <laughs> it's a full house and the crowd. And people in Manchester have never seen a velodrome before. When they first built that, I think people were going, what's this? Yeah, what is a velodrome? What is it? Yeah. yeah. And where, does, where does it lead to? People think it, th- people thought it was a roller booting ring, and then they thought, "God, it's <laughs> steep, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> steep for roller boots. <laughs> you kill yourself on that thing." Yeah, the disco music's terrible as well. <laughs> <laughs> so, it's a wonder wall. Anyway, <laughs> so it's, the atmosphere is red hot for this attempt. But as as the name suggests, the one-hour challenge. When it first starts, you've got an hour, haven't you, to kill? <laughs> like, it's quite... It's it's, not least, a, it's just a man going round in a circle. I've got to say, it's not much of a spectator sport, is it? It's like long-distance swimming. Like, it's it's all right, but it's not great to watch, is it? It's just the end and the start you like to see in it, really. Put it this way. You're taking a crossword with you, aren't you? <laughs> yeah. You know, Sudoku. A good book. Yeah. And so... That said, though... I said book, by the way. The, the, cr- the crowd are banging. <laughs> but the thing is, is what's important about this is that you are on track, say, by like kind of half-hour mark. 
that you're on track and you're also at a comparable time to, to Eddie Merckx as well so that you know that you're either ahead or front. You know what you have to do. Now, at the halfway stage, Boardman, he's getting feedback all the time from uh, his coach on the side who's signaling to him all the time, every lap, how far he is behind or in front. At this point, half hour mark, he's ahead by quite a way. You know, we're talking seconds, but in that format, it's yeah. that's a that's yeah. a massive amount of of distance. Remember, he's trying to get distance here in the hour, and he's ahead. You know, the, it comes up on the board and the crowd right into it because they they're witnessing this history. But also, this is his again. This is his last act in the sport. What other sports you get this opportunity to go out on this amazing high? But then. As the minutes tick on, he starts falling, getting slower and slower and slower. He's actually behind Eddie Merckx now. He's kind of got like 10 minutes to go. The only one cheering now is Eddie Merckx. Yeah, Eddie Merckx in the <laughs> middle. Like, <laughs> So Boardman's wife is actually sat in the middle of the, the velodrome and doing a crossword. Now, Boardman said in interviews, she's like the opposite of him and, quote, she's allergic to exercise and loves karaoke. Now, Brilliant. So she does, She hasn't really got involved that much in his career at this point because why would you? She basically like gets off from the middle of... She's sat at the table in the middle of the velodrome. She gets out of her seat and thinks he needs a bit of encouragement here, Chris. And so she stands at the side of the track and starts every time he goes past, come on! Like, she's screaming like almost like primal. <laughs> And his coach is still doing a thing with the fingers, you know. She's probably thinking, I've been here for an hour. If you don't do this, mate, I'm not messing. What a waste of my time. <laughs> I know. She's got Watching a babysitter. Go circle, yeah. got... <laughs> and so, all of a sudden, the crowd start getting up more and more. And then there's a fella, there's an... he's a really annoying. There's a fella on a loudspeaker. Start trying to encourage the crowd as though the crowd don't know what's going on. Start unnecessarily trying to g them up, you know. Come on, let's help him out and all this. Stuff. It's he like so. A yeah, he's like basically should be at a primary school sports day. Why it's do you need to bring a loud halo to a sporting event? No, he's on the official PA. Oh, is he? Yeah. Oh, he's got carried away. He's hasn't employed. He? Yeah. <laughs> Lost all track of uh, track of himself. More like Stan Borman. Yeah. So uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Stan Borman joke. <laughs> oh, the Germans. Who else? <laughs> no, I, you know, you, everyone's asked me about the Germans because you say, well, did he bomb your chip shops? I said, yeah, but he bombed everybody's chip shops. <laughs> now, with the help of his wife, notably, Eddie Merckx hadn't climbed the fence and wasn't cheering him on. <laughs> he starts crawling back to time. I just got like, his bike. I, 
<laughs> I cannot, though, I cannot emphasise enough how difficult and it was for Boardman to have fallen behind and then to crawl out of this time that he had to make up. Nine minutes! Yeah, you really, you really need a ball at that point, aren't you? It's an extraordinary feat of endurance, mental strength, and it is such an amazing golden moment because he manages to crawl back enough time to get over that line. There's a, a slight bit of confusion because he gets over, but no one can kind of believe that he's done it. And he's beaten Eddie Merckx by 10 metres. Wow, he did get it, to, he did now, get it back then, really. At that speed, it's a fraction of a second, like 10 metres. Mm. But to have the amazing strength to find something within himself to just get back that time, and you just think it's a bloke riding around in a circle. But the crowd, I've not seen a crowd like that. I've been to like some top football games and... You know, sporting events. I've never seen a crowd that enthusiastic. There's older men, absolute red face, screaming. There's kids, like, there's just... And everyone, everyone's in the moments. Everyone's absolute, because it's just so pure. You've got to get over that line in a further distance than anyone has ever before. And he did it. And the outpouring of emotion and joy of seeing that, after it, putting in an hour shift doing your crossword <laughs> and then looking up and going, hang on, something might happen here. It's just amazing. And I think um, one of the things which uh, sticks with me is when Boardman makes his acceptance speech of like the, you know, acknowledging the world record and stuff, and he's got some of his kids with him and he. Has already he came straight when he came straight off the track. It wasn't his wife who he hugged, it was Eddie Merckx, and it was an embrace. And Eddie Merckx is you know in his full suit, and uh, obviously an older gentleman. That was really lovely. The comradeship between cyclists, a man who'd seen his record defeated by ten meters, but had seen it defeated by a good man, and probably something that says that. Boardman's a good man is how modest he is like at accepting his uh, world record and ending his career he just says thanks and I'll see you at the bar <laughs> <laughs> I wanted to say thank you to everybody I hope you've enjoyed it I've got a fantastic 10 years I'm very glad it's finished and I was very glad to be able to finish here so thank you and I'll see you at the bar in his interviews previous, some people say, what's the greatest moments, the greatest achievements? And he says, he's like my family. To be fair, he's six kids while he's been doing potholes. You know what <laughs> I mean? Pretty good going. <laughs> he's not lying. Yeah. Six kids, he must have been on some drugs. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> must have been enhancing his performance somehow. <laughs> Just not on this track. <laughs> so, Chris Boardman... Golden moments, and uh, for those people out there who see the Boardman bikes, because you've got a brand of, of bikes out uh, now, more kids and stuff will know, know think, oh, there's a Boardman, but they might not know the story behind Boardman. 
he's so placid and so you no know, kind natured. He is quite boring. He's quite a bored man. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, but what a golden moment! Yeah, great. And Honestly, go, great, great way to end his career as well. Yeah. Just after uh, finished uh, the first time, and there's just nothing going on in my head. And it's great. And I think, in a sense, in an hour, you've seen everything there is to know about Chris Boardman. And he, he, he himself, like, I mean, we joked about him having a BMX when he grew, growing up. He doesn't own a road bike anymore. He doesn't have a road bike in the house. He has, like, a, he has a mountain bike. <laughs> Rides around the chippy and the off-licence with it. So, fair play to Chris Boardman. And what a good uh, good representative of Hoylake yeah. and the Whittle <laughs> Peninsula in the northwest of England, the, where he still lives today. Yeah, and a great golden moment. It's been emotional. Yeah. Thanks, Ian. Thanks, Justin. This isn't any better than that. I think the majority of people here thought that was it. And the courage to, to come back like that and to not die is just unbelievable. That's what the man is all about.